Welcome to our Frontline City Church podcast. This message will activate and inspire you in the supernatural love of God to find your purpose and reach your destiny through Christ. It's easy to stand up here and occupy the pulpit. It's a little more difficult to feed the sheep. It's Resurrection Sunday, now what? What now? And I think that's pretty much how the disciples felt. But I want to say that today I want to, the title of my sermon is Life Gives Life. And (laughs) I don't know it. Um, But as I did some research about this and where this was going it was fascinating because dad spoke about how the world cannot come to terms with the resurrection and the virgin birth but the very thing which is the foundation of our faith was the same thing that almost destroyed the early church because i don't know if you know it but the four gospel accounts of the resurrection are so vastly different that they cannot, the early church thought it cannot be about the same thing. And so I'm not going to read them to you because I get put on a serious time, time budget here. <laughs> so I have to try and honor that. And, but go read them for yourself, okay? Because in Matthew, he goes on about things like, Earthquakes and God's being bribed and all kinds of weird and wonderful things. And in Mark, the early church actually went and added to the original transcripts of Mark's gospel. Okay, because his, his account of, of, the, of, the crucif- of the resurrection was simply, Mary went to the tomb, the stone was rolled away, she looked inside, it was empty, she went back and she told the disciples and he left it there. Um, And so the early church says, but it it can't be. It it has to be deficient in this message. And so they took a collection of all the other accounts and wrote in some extra verses for him. But maybe Mark got it right. Okay, maybe Mark actually listened when Jesus said, I'm going to die, they're going to crucify me, and I'm going to rise from the dead, and I'm going to get you in Galilee. Okay, so... He didn't expect all the other stuff. He just, when he heard that the grave was empty, he said, okay, well, I'm going to Galilee because that's where Jesus is going to be. And so maybe he had the absolute display of faith that God expected from him. And then in John and all other places, there's a difference because in Matthew and Mark, there's two, two angels and then it becomes one angel. And go check it out for yourself. Okay, it's fascinating. But there's no logical explanation for it. And that's the purpose, I think, of what happened. Because you see, on Palm Sunday, there was a massive crowd of witnesses who were singing Jesus' praises. At the crucifixion, there was a massive crowd, followers of Jesus and haters of Jesus. And then just the curious curious type who came to see who was being killed today. Um, But the, the resurrection, there was no witnesses. Because God intended for it to be... An open-ended story. 
Okay, because the next time Jesus speaks is, is in Revelation. So we know what the ending is. But you and I get to fill in the blanks in between. Because after this e event, the rest of the Bible is an account of what the disciples did. Because they left there with the resurrection and the life that Jesus gave them. And then, as I read the account, and we're going to look at the, the account as, as it is reflected in John, is that last week, as we sat here at the prophetic services, what struck me was how deeply and how intimately Jesus loves each one of us. And that for each person who he spoke to, he spoke into their circumstances. And you cannot deny his unfailing love for each person. And if, if you were at those meetings last week, even if you didn't get a message personally, just being in his presence was life-changing enough. Okay, I know my life changed. And so as these people went into the empty tomb where Jesus had been present, their lives were changed. But there was revelation, not only of who Jesus is, but of who they are. And so we're going to read from John chapter 20. We're going to read the whole account because there's just so much fascinating stuff here. And it's obviously entitled The Empty Tomb. And in John chapter 20, verse 1, it says, Very early Sunday morning, before sunrise, Mary Magdalene made her way to the tomb. And when she arrived, she discovered that the stone that sealed the entrance to the tomb was moved away. So she went running as fast as she could to go tell Peter and the other disciples. The other disciple, the one Jesus loved. She told them they've taken the Lord's body from the tomb and we don't know where he is. Too often, too often, we still look for Jesus in our circumstances. And come away with a sense of where is Jesus in this mess. As she went to the tomb, she was going to go do what they always did. She was going to go care for him and complete tr the traditions of their time and she comes away and she says not there and I don't know I don't know where he is what is there in your life today where you look around you and you say I don't know where he is if you look at your finances and you say where's Jesus in this mess if we look at the world around us our communities around us and we say where's Jesus in this mess but you see, he's not there. He's not where we expect to find him because he's on the throne at the right hand of the Father. He has placed us in a position to see our, our situation through the filter of his victory and his glory by his resurrection. And then in verse 3, then Peter and the other disciples jumped up and ran to the tomb to go see for themselves. They started out together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached, reached the tomb first. 
He didn't enter the tomb, but peeked in and saw only the linen cloth lying there. Then Peter came behind him and went right into the tomb. He too noticed the linen cloth lying there, but the burial cloth that had been on Jesus' head had been rolled up and placed separate from the other cloths. Peter and John, who is the one that Jesus loved, and obviously the author of this passage, they set off together from their place. But the one that Jesus loved outran Peter. Now, it's that important that actually made it into, into, the, into the Bible. Um, have you ever wondered why they would deem that necessary, that the fact that they ran would have been sufficient? You see, love is always going to beat curiosity. Love is always going to beat curiosity or duty or responsibility or whatever other reason you, you find to come to church. Any, whatever other reason you find to serve at church, love is always going to make it for the long haul. In Hebrews chapter 12, we read, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. If your race is not fueled by love, you're going to fail. You're not going to make it to the end. I, one of the things I enjoyed watching is the comrades, not for the guys who win, but for the guys who come in last. <coughs> and a long, long time ago, it was actually one of the things on my bucket list was to actually run the comrades at least once. Um, but you can see that that failed. <laughs> I can still do it, yes, this time. But what I noticed is that some of the guys who I had met up with at the time who were going to run it, none of them were athletes, per se, but we got together, we, we practiced for a while. Um, I didn't practice very long, but some stuck it out. Okay, and all of them eventually, well, those that wanted to, got to make it to their first comrades and ran. Most of those ticked it off their bucket list and stopped. But along the way, a couple of guys actually fell in love with it. Okay, and running became their passion. So they've done 10 or 12 or more in the meantime. Because their run is filled by love. Not by a goal, not by an object, um, a bucket list item. But because running became their passion. And in this passage, we are invited to make Jesus our passion. Because there's no more passion than what Jesus displayed on the cross for us. And it was love that took Jesus to the cross. And it was love that kept him there. And it is love that took him through the gates of hell to break them open for us. The only reasonable response you and I can have to today's events is love. The only prayer we should be praying today is, Lord, help us to love you more. More of you, Lord, more of you. But then it says, the other disciple who reached the tomb first went in, and after one look, he believed. The, okay, so love gets him there first. He takes one look, and he believes. Okay, love empowers your faith. Without love, you cannot believe. Without faith, you cannot believe. Without faith, you cannot love. Sorry. 
But the, I want to go back to the previous verse. Where he says, Then Peter came behind him and went right into the tomb. He too noticed the linen cloth living there. <laughs> Lying there, okay. And rolled up and... And then coming back, it says, Puzzled, Peter and the other disciples then left and went back to their homes. If you remember... Peter is the one that denied Jesus at his crucifixion. And yeah, his denial of Jesus destroys his faith. Blinds him to the events that are happening in front of him. That John can see because he's the one who loves him. But sin gets in the way of Peter's ability to see Jesus. And so, we cannot be the people who come to church, as Johnny said earlier, and praise God, yeah, and sing the hallelujah, and speak in tongues, yeah, but live lives that deny him out there. Because that will rob you of your revelation. Revival can only happen where there's a place of purity. We say we have a, a mantle of revival at Frontline. And it's time for us to stand up and own up to those sins that destroy our revelation and our faith. If you're struggling with your faith, with your faith today, then we need to get honest with God and confess the unconfessed sins. We are always going to be sinners. You're all going to, always going to fall into the trap of sin. But those things that you hold on to habitually because you're not prepared to let go of it. Those are the things that are going to destroy the revival. They're going to destroy the revelation of who God is in your life. And they will destroy your faith. And then in verse 11 it says, Mary arrived back at the tomb, broken and sobbing. She stooped to peer inside, and through her tears, she saw two angels in dazzling white robes, sitting where Jesus' body had been laid, one at the head and one at the feet. Dear woman, why are you crying? They asked. Mary answered, they have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Then she turned around to leave, and there was Jesus standing in front of her, but she didn't realize that it was him. Dad shared the story of the Mayor's Road journey. So often Jesus appears with us in our midst and we don't recognize him. And it is in the hospitality that the guys on the Mayor's Road, eyes were opened. When they invited him in, they gave him a place to stay. They gave him shelter. And in this place, oh man, in this, in this account... He said to, sorry, they've taken away my Lord, I don't know where, he, where they've laid him. Then she turned around to leave, and there was Jesus standing in front of her, but she didn't realize that it was him. He said to her, dear woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? Mary answered, thinking he was the gardener. So if you've taken his body somewhere else, tell me and I will go. Mary. Jesus interrupted her. Turning to face him, she shouted, 
Rabboni, Aramaic for teacher, which is what she always called him. Remember the accounts of Mary and Martha along the way? She fell at his feet and she shouted, teacher. Jesus so desperately longs to interrupt our brokenness and our sobbing. If we're just not looking for him in the empty tomb, we will find him at the right hand of the Father. Jesus looks to interrupt us. Are you prepared to let him interrupt your life today? Will you let him interrupt that which you have set as your goals and as your plans? It's in her brokenness and in her sorrow that Jesus shows up. In her busyness and in her distress, she's looking for a body to embalm, to, to bury. She, she's not there and she's distressed. She doesn't recognize him. Don't let your busyness rob you of your encounter with God. Dad just spoke about revival meetings at NBCFC. Don't let your busyness rob you of your experience of God. Until he calls her name, she recognizes his voice and responds as she always did. Rabbi, he calls her personally by name. Every person who got a message last week can testify to the fact that Jesus spoke personally by name and deeply. And in that moment when he speaks to her, the sorrow turns to joy. Let Jesus come today and turn your sorrow to joy. But not only does he turn her sorrow to joy, he empowers her and he sends her. You cannot afford to do nothing. If you're here today and you're celebrating the resurrection, the only response is to go. Because the very next thing Jesus says to disciples after this event is the great commission to go into all the ends of the world. But you cannot go into the world if you haven't had a revelation of who he is. If you haven't seen the resurrected Christ, you don't have a message for the world. What brokenness and sorrow are you carrying? Because Jesus is waiting to show up in your life today. And today I want to speak specifically to those people who are watching online. What brokenness and sorrow do you have in your home today? Because Jesus is waiting to show up if you'll just look for him. And then in verse 17 it says, Jesus cautioned her, Mary, don't cling to me, for I haven't yet ascended to God my Father. She was looking for the old Jesus, the physical being, the one at whose feet she sat. But he had been transformed. This was a heavenly being. And he wasn't going to be with her in physically, but in spiritually, or in the spirit, which he would send, send on them and give to them. So he wasn't there to be hung on to, but to be sent out from. Then he says to her, and, he, and he's not only my father and God, but now he's your father and God. When the stone was rolled away, Jesus changed 
our relationship. Our standing with Him and with God. Now it says, and go to my brothers. The, when the blood was spilt, a blood relationship was established with Jesus. When the lamb was slain, for you and I, we became brothers and sisters of Jesus. We became co-heirs. We became the people to pass the banner to, to take on the authority that Jesus had. Because you can only give it to people you can trust. And then he says, go to my brothers and tell them what I've told you. I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Amen, man. In Jewish tradition, women were disempowered. They were second-rate citizens. And yet he uses Mary as the first person to reveal himself to, to become the first witness of the risen God. There's promotion. He steps into her brokenness and her sorrow, and he brings promotion. And he brings authority. He says, go and tell them what I've told you. And then he says, he empowers her. So it's not limited to one person. Jesus turns the tables on tradition and the status quo. He puts the cat amongst the pigeons and upsets the apple cart, so to speak, by sending Mary to the men's domain. Our faith, if it's not being disruptive, is it faith at all? It's okay to, it's easy to have faith around the dinner table with your family. But is it faith, is it easy to have faith at work with your colleagues? Is our faith evident in the boardroom? Is your faith disrupting the processes of the boardrooms of this world? Is it evident on the shop floor? Is it evident in our families? The Bible says you cannot store up riches in heaven for yourself, but you certainly can make sure that your family is going to be there with you. Is it evident in our communities? Are you willing today to be sent out with a disruptive faith, not a compliant faith? Our world is in a situation where... It's trying to dictate how we can exercise our faith. It is trying to dictate how we, what we can believe and how we can believe. Are you prepared to say no? Is your faith prepared to stand up to the authorities that want to change the way we do church? Not only do they want to change the way we do church, they want to change what we believe and what we're allowed to believe. Are you prepared to have a disruptive faith? And then Jesus, in verse 19, appears to his disciples. That evening, the disciples gathered together. And because they were afraid of reprisals from the Jew Jewish leaders, they had locked the doors. But suddenly, Jesus appeared among them and said, 
peace to you. Then he showed them the wounds of his hands and his side, and they were overjoyed to see the Lord with their own eyes. Jesus repeated his greeting, peace to you. And he told them, just as the Father has sent me, I'm now sending you. Then taking a deep breath, he blew on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Before we celebrate, he says, I send you to preach. You can have the gift, but you got to use it, man. What, what, are you, what is he sending you to preach? The forgiveness of sins. And people's sins will be forgiven. But if you don't proclaim the forgiveness of their sins, they will remain guilty. Today we celebrate the resurrection. Every promise, every prophecy has been fulfilled. The only one that is outstanding is when he comes again. If he has fulfilled this promise and these prophecies, he is coming again. Therefore, we cannot stop. There's no taking a break from preaching the forgiveness of sins. And it is not the domain of the pastors and the preachers. It is everybody. It is my brothers and my sisters, as Jesus called us. If you carry that title, if the blood has created a covenant and a bond with you that calls you his family, you have an obligation to carry the family name forward. But what is evident is that when the, two, when the stone was rolled away, every barrier was broken down. Now, if you're going to do some research, apparently it would take a multitude of people to move the stone. Which is why Matthew came up with the version of the earthquake, etc. But you probably need about 10 or 12 people to roll the stone away. Because it was set in place or in a downhill in a trench. So to get it uphill, you'd have to move it literally against the hill, etc. And it was almost impossible to do since I didn't have all the gadgets and stuff we had. But it was moved. It was moved out the way. There's no obstacle that can stop Jesus from getting to you. These guys were afraid. They were living in fear. So they had themselves locked in a room. And Jesus appears in their midst. And he says, peace be to you. Peace be with you. What is there in your life? What are the barriers that withhold you from experiencing Jesus fully? What have you built around you to protect you from Jesus? What has the world put up around them that keeps them from Jesus? Because there is no barrier that can withhold him. If you're facing financial barriers, then God is about to give you your breakthrough. If, you, if you're operating from a place of fear, God is prepared to move into the midst of your fear and empower you. There's nothing that he can't do. There's nothing that he can break, that can't, 
can't be broken down. If it's sickness, sickness has been defeated by his stripes. Death has been defeated. If you're living with grief, or even anger at God for the loss of a loved one, death has been defeated. Financial barriers have been broken. What in the account of John chapter 21, between the resurrection and the ascension, Jesus appears ten times. One of those, one of those times, is the story of the miraculous catch. You know the story about cast your net on the other side? Where everybody, the disciples were in disarray, uncertain of what's happening next, and they go back to what they know. And Jesus meets them on the beach in the morning, and they say, he says to me, have you caught anything? We've been fishing all night. We've caught nothing. He says, cast your net on the other side. These guys had been used to living from Jesus' hand as they traveled with him. All their meals, everything was provided. And he moves them to the place where they live from the abundance of his heart as they go into the world on his own without him. Because of his love. And as we learn to love him more, we live from his heart and not from his hand. Peace be with you, he says twice. Our country, and in fact the world around us, is broken. It is more divisive. Oh, I suppose every generation says that. It is more divided and hostile than it's been for a long time, but if you, if you look at the account of the cross, I'm not sure about that, but our world desires peace. The first thing Jesus says when he encounters fear in his disciples is, peace be with you. He speaks into the fear. Fear drives our government Fear drives our societies. Fear drives everything in this country. Because we won't stand up and say, peace be with you. At Marikana, it was the church, people who stood up and said, peace be with you. Brought peace into a, a conflict situation. In Sienekal, it was one pastor who said, this can't be allowed to happen. When all the predictions of the disaster that was going to unfold in that town that day, a pastor stood up and said no. And he rallied a whole group of pastors together and said, let's pray. Let's beg to differ. Let's beg to differ. Senegal has become an example of peace and reconciliation that is being carried out around the country in different places. And as this community operates in fear and in disarray, it is incumbent on this church to say we beg to differ. Amen. It is incumbent on you and me to say, peace be with you. That's how the revival starts. When we can speak into the fears and the realities of the people around us. You see, 
the reason we need revival and why we need an uncomfortable faith is because Jesus is coming again. We've had all these prophecies, we've had all these messages about how soon. Now, nobody can predict that. But it is evident that we're living in what the Bible calls the end times. And he's coming to judge. And it is, our, it is incumbent on us to bring that revival into this area. That people will avoid the judgment. One of the twelve wasn't present when Jesus appeared to them. It was Thomas, whose nickname was the twin. So the, the disciples informed him, we have seen the Lord with our own eyes. Still unconvinced, Thomas replied, there's no way I'm going to believe this unless I personally see the wounds of the nails. And his hands touched them with my finger and put my hand into the wound of his side where he was pierced. Then eight days later, Thomas and all the others were in the house together. And even though all the doors were locked, Jesus suddenly stood before them. Peace to you, he said. When you come through without opening the door, best you come and give, pronounce the peace. But all the barriers are broken down again. And then looking into Thomas's eyes, he says, put your finger here in the wounds of my hand. Here, put your hand into my wounded side and see for yourself. Thomas, don't give in to your doubts any longer. Just believe. Man, what an amazing God. What an amazing Savior. Nobody had told him that Thomas is struggling. That Thomas has said he's being defiant and he says unless he can touch your wounds, he's not, he's not believing. He wants to see for himself. Jesus just knew what the stumbling blocks were in Thomas's life. What are the stumbling blocks in your life? What are the things that hold you back from surrendering fully to Christ? Is it your career? Is it your family? Is it because sometimes we're scared of ridicule? We're afraid of offending our circle of friends? What holds you back? What stops you from being radical for Jesus? You see, here's the thing. Jesus already knows. But Jesus is waiting on the other end with an absolute revelation of who he wants you to be because of who he is. Will you surrender? When you read the account of the cross, when Jesus said it is finished, he surrendered his spirit. It was the absolute act of surrender. And yet we struggle to surrender those things we hold and cherish close to our hearts. What is it that you need to surrender to experience the fullness of Christ today? And then he says, Thomas, don't give in to your doubts any longer, but just believe. You know, and I'm, I'm running out of time, so I'm, I'm going to get into trouble, but I just want to share briefly. <laughs> when, when I went to Lesotho the first time, I went on a holiday. 
Um, and I had no intention of becoming a missionary, becoming an evangelist, becoming a pastor, any, any of those things that have happened in my life. I'd, I'd none, that was never the intention. I was going for a lucky weekend away. Jesus showed up. Jesus spoke to me. And I had to struggle the doubts over and over again. There were many times we're throwing in the oh, we're throwing in the towel. There were many times yeah. when throwing in the towel and saying I've done my bit. It would have been easy. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been justifiable. It would have been acceptable. Amen. I had to fight through the doubt. Yeah. And just believe that through the hardship, through the struggle, Jesus was going to see me through. Yes. And he was going to be there. Amen. And as we believe, we happen to grow. As we believe and as we acted, yeah. we had a new revelation of who God is. Yeah. It's always been a, a step of faith. Yeah. What is stopping you? Yeah. Right, okay, here we go. <laughs> then Jesus responded, Thomas, now that you've seen me, you believe. But there are those who have never seen me with their eyes, but have believed in me with their hearts, and they will be blessed even more. Put up your hand and say, I'm blessed. I am blessed. I'm blessed even more. But there's a world out there who haven't seen. There's a world out there that don't believe. And we don't have a Jesus' hands and feet to show him. We only have signs and wonders and miracles to show them, to convince them. Because they've been listening to this story for 2,000 years. If they haven't been convinced not yet, it is because they haven't seen. They haven't been able to touch and experience the living God. What are you prepared to do to take that to Jesus? Or to take that to them? It can only be revealed to them through signs and through His power and through His glory. Jesus died a brut brutal and painful death on the cross. It was the ultimate act of love. I, in this week, saw an enactment of what Jesus must have gone through. I struggled to watch yeah. just a short, short part of that brutality and that pain. I can't fathom it. I can't stomach it. But he did it for me. And the least I can do is to take it to the next person. To spare them the same horror. He died that death so that we won't have to. He took our punishment on him. You can't keep that to yourself. And so, if you, like Mary, have heard him calling your name in your brokenness today, will you respond to him? If you, like Thomas, can't move beyond your doubts, 
because you've never seen his power in action. And all you've ever heard was the story of the cross. How would you respond to him today? Today we celebrate that Jesus planted hell and rendered it powerless. If you are in a living hell today, the gates of hell have been broken open. It is your choice to stay there or to step out. If you are in a living hell due to poverty, violence, sickness or addiction, or whatever else keeps you in a place of suffering, Jesus is inviting you to step out of that place because the tomb is empty. Because the gates of hell have been broken open. You see, those graveyards were used. They were wrapped up and still folded where they had been before because Jesus never used them. Because, because he, he was busy planting hell on your, your path. Come on. Come on. That's true. And so, today I want to invite you, wherever you are, whether it's here, whether it's in your home, if you've never invited Jesus into your life, if you want a relationship with this living, resurrected Christ, I want to invite you to pray with him now. There's nothing that you could have done that can keep you from his saving grace. When he died on the cross, he died for you. When he walked out of the tomb, he did it for you. And so when you're here today, if you're here today, you've never invited Christ into your life, please put up your hand. I want to pray a prayer with you. And there in your life, wherever you are, if you need a Savior, if you need a God, who can rescue you from whatever you're going through, and I want you to pray this prayer with me. Amen. Can you have the salvation prayer? Let us stand together as we pray. Pray with me, Father God. Father God, I thank you that today we can celebrate your resurrection. Thank you that today we can celebrate your resurrection. Father, I thank you that you went to the cross for me. You went to the cross for me. That you died for me. That you died for me. That by your stripes you were healed for me. And Father God, I pray that today, Lord. And Father, I pray that today, Lord. You will forgive me. You will forgive me. Father God, that today you remove my shame. And set me free from all that holds me away from you. And today, Lord, I confess that you are my Lord and Savior. Today I confess you are my Lord and Savior. And thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have prayed this prayer today, in your lounge, wherever you are, please get in touch with us on our WhatsApp line. Sorry, you can be seated. We have people who would like to pray with you. 
if you want somebody to talk to and to discuss other issues with, we have counselors standing by who would love to journey with you. Lastly, in John's Gospel, the closing section says, Jesus went on to do many more miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not included in this book. But all that is recorded here is so that you will fully believe. At that point, Jesus sent his disciples out. His work was done. The continuation of the story continues to the people who believe in him. That's you and I. There are millions of books in libraries around the world that speak of God's goodness and his faithfulness. We've heard that there are books that are coming from this place soon. But, and I'm almost finished. In 1 John 3 verse 8, John says, But the one who indulges in a sinful life is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God was revealed was to undo and destroy the works of the devil. There where you see evil, we have an obligation to step up. Jesus has empowered us to destroy the works of the devil. We carry a mantle of revival. Revival is about freeing people from the grips of the devil. As a church, as brothers and sisters of Christ, it's our duty to continue the work that Jesus started. And then my favorite part is in Revelation 1 verse 18, Jesus says, I have the keys to the gates of hell. Nobody can ever be trapped in hell without an option to leave. But if you and I won't go and fetch them, go and tell them about salvation and give them a new revelation of who Jesus is, they will stay there. So you have been called. Between the Great Commission and Revelation 21 verse 22, He leaves the rest to you and I. Can Jesus trust you with the authority that is given you? To give an account of the living Christ. To express His victory. To testify of His glory. And to express His power through the Holy Spirit. There can be no denying that the, river, that the resurrection happened if we step into the authority He's given us. invite you now if you want to say Jesus here I am to come forward I'd like to pray with you that God will give you a disruptive faith a faith that will unsettle if you want to respond to any of what Jesus done said today feel free to come forward I want to pray with you We hope that you enjoyed today's message. Our services are streamed live on our Facebook page every Sunday morning at 9.30. For more information and resources, please go to our website www.frontlinecitychurch.co.za or look us up on Facebook, Instagram and YouTube.